Well, good morning. And welcome to Orangeville Baptist Church. We are glad for all who are here and glad for all who are able to watch online as I trip on the wire. Um, I trust we all had a great Fourth uh, of July weekend. I hope we still are. Uh, I do want to begin with uh, a very important announcement uh, about our response to COVID. I think many of us or most of us hopefully at this point have heard of the news that there was there is an individual within our church family uh, who was exposed to COVID uh, just this past week. Uh, this individual was in attendance here at church this past Sunday. Um, he didn't find out until this past Thursday that, that this individual was exposed, but this individual did call me as soon as, as, soon as a person found out and is right now in quarantine. Uh, this individual won't be tested until tomorrow. Uh, so kind of playing the waiting game to see if it's positive or, ne or negative. Uh, we will keep you informed as we move forward. Thankfully, this person, as of right now, is doing really well, not showing any symptoms. This person's been uh, taking their temperature every four hours. No fever. Uh, the person's doing well, so we're thankful for that. Uh, please continue to pray for that individual, uh, for the person to be strong and healthy and free from the virus. I want you to know that we have cleaned the church thoroughly. Uh, we have a special cleaning agent that's designed to, to kill off COVID on surfaces. We've been using that actually for the last six weeks, and we used that extensively uh, here in the church this past week. I also just want to be encouraging you, I th you guys all know this, but I just want to be encouraging you to be self-monitoring if you see uh, any symptoms within yourself, uh, to just stay home if you see them. Uh, and obviously we understand uh, if you're uncomfortable coming, obviously by the turnout today there are a number of people uncomfortable coming. <laughs> we, we understand. <clears throat> what does that mean for us today? What that means for us today, here Sunday, July 5th, is we're trying to err on the side of caution, and I appreciate your understanding with all of this, but we're trying to take extra safety measures. So this morning is going to be very different than what we've been doing. Uh, no, we're not going to be doing any singing of this morning. It's just going to be me on the stage. I'm sorry that you have to look at me for that long, but that's, that's, that's where we're at this morning. No, no singing on the stage this morning. No shaking hands today, please. No hugging, no brotherly kisses, those, those kind of things. Please, everyone, wear a mask. Maintain social distance. We're entering through that door. We're exiting through, uh, through that door to my right, your left. I hope you understand. As I'm up here speaking, I've been wearing the mask all, all morning since I've been here, but as I'm speaking, I can't wear that because you won't be able to tell what I'm saying. So that's the reason why I'm the only person on the stage, so we're not uh, pa passing the germs that way. Uh, and plus, if I was wearing that, you guys might think I'm speaking in tongues. And I, I, di I didn't want to, to have that concern this, this morning. <laughs> uh, I, I do just want to say also uh, about, uh, uh, well, let me say this first. Assuming that, that this individual's test is negative, uh, then our plan next week is just to resume back to where we were. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll do what we've been doing. Next week, Lord willing, we'll have singing. Next week, Mass will continue to be optional. It'll be up to you if you want to shake hands or hug. We will keep the chairs like this for quite a while, uh, just to keep those social distancing guidelines in. Uh, we'll continue to ask that we sit with family units uh, and dismiss by suction. 
Uh, so I do want to say, and if you got the email that went out Friday or Saturday, I can't quite remember when it went out, but I, I do want to say this morning uh, that's come to my attention that a couple statements that I've made from the stage about COVID have been inconsistent. And I'm thankful that that was brought to my attention. Uh, <clears throat> I could tell the joke that really I was just trying to make sure you guys are paying attention when I'm talking, uh, but that would be a lie. <laughs> I, do, I do want to make sure you're paying attention when I'm talking, but that's not why I said inconsistent things. I'm sorry for any confusion. Uh, sorry for any frustration that might have caused. I am doing my best to lead with wisdom through this time. As you can tell, I don't have a whole lot of it. Uh, so I need much prayer for God's wisdom, right? And James, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, do what? Pray, right? Ask for it. He will, he will give. So pray much for myself, for the leadership here, uh, that we would move forward with wisdom and appreciate your patience and understanding in that regard. Uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to me with any questions you have, concerns that you have. As, as I've been trying to say a lot, my office door is always open, and I mean it when I say it, it is always open. I'm here to serve and to love in that way. You are not interrupting me. You are not bothering me. You are not annoying me if you come through that door. Uh, you're not interrupting my work because my work is shepherding, right? Uh, so it's, it's, not, it's not an interruption. I'm glad, glad for the visits, glad for the conversations. <clears throat> uh, so a few other things to mention just, just quickly. I think we all know, uh, but again, uh, Orangeville Day, which, is, which was going to be a week from yesterday, it was going to be July 11th, it's hard to believe, time flies, so that's going to be this Saturday, that's been cancelled. Uh, Orangeville uh, Township cancelled that, they've rescheduled for September 12th, so we still want to be involved in that, and actually what that does is that gives us a chance and opportunity to be a little more involved in that, and, and be a little more prepared for it, because we were just trying to rapidly uh, get ready for all of that. So that's, that's September 12th, so please, please mark that on your calendars. Uh, and plan accordingly to be involved. <clears throat> now, next Sunday uh, is our picnic day, right? Our Orangeville uh, service is going to be outside. We're going to be, be right over there, right by Pastor Dan and Sharon, uh, right, right by their house, right in that yard. Uh, we're asking everyone to bring your own picnic and to bring your own chairs. It is going to be outside. I've had a couple questions if we're going to be sitting in the cars. Or the plan is not to have a sitting in the cars, you will get baked, <laughs> unless you have your AC on. Uh, but the plan is we're going to have tents up, so there'll be shade, uh, just so you're not all shocked. It's a casual, it's a casual day, so I'm not going to be wearing this. To me, this is dressed up. I'm, I'll be wearing shorts and probably a t-shirt, because it's going to be outside, it's probably going to be hot. Unless it's raining, uh, then we'll be inside, we'll have to reschedule. Uh, but that's, that's the plan for, for next Sunday. And I encourage you all to, to please plan and be here for that. Uh, then July 26, uh, that's our quarterly members meeting coming up. That's just a few weeks away. Uh, then uh, just one other announcement. Um, coming up soon, uh, Josiah and Dave have been working on this. Uh, if you recall, in the past few years, uh, Josiah has taken the worship team and a few other people from the church down to Tennessee for the SING conference. Uh, they are obviously not able to do that this year, uh, but they are making it all virtual. And so we as a church are going to be hosting that here right at the church. And that's going to be August 31st through September 3rd. And what that conference is, is... It's a worship conference, but that's where it's got to challenge you because when you hear the word worship, typically what comes to your mind is singing, right? 
And in fact, the conference is called Sing, so it might even make you just immediately think Sing, and you're seeing it on the screen right now where it says Sing, right? Uh, but worship, singing is one form of worship, yes? All of life is supposed to be worship, and this conference actually covers a host of different things that are all about worship. So it's not just about coming and, and learning how to sing. It's not just for Josiah and Dave and the praise team. It's for all of us, and we're excited to be able to offer that here. Again, that's August 31st through September 3rd, uh, and it's $40 per person, which, which is a steal. Uh, if you're actually going to the conference, it's, it's much, much more than that. <clears throat> so that is it for announcements this morning. Yeah, that's it. That was a lot of announcements <laughs> uh, for, for this morning. But this time we're going to uh, bow our heads in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this new day that you have given us, this new day where your mercies are new, uh, this new day where uh, you continue to show your faithfulness, a faithfulness that reaches as high as the heavens, uh, and a new day in which you display your love to us, a love that is as incomprehensible as the vastness of the universe uh, in which we dwell. Lord, we are just amazed and humbled and glorify you for your faithfulness and for your love and also your rich grace, uh, that though knowing our great sinfulness, our great depravity, our great separation from you, our rebellion against you, that in your great grace and uh, your love, uh, you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life on our behalf, fulfilled the law in all of its ways, never sinned once, never disobeyed once, never had a stray thought, uh, never, never had anything like that, Lord, but uh, perfectly, sinlessly followed after you, finished the mission that you gave him, uh, dying on the cross for our sins in our place as our substitute, bearing your wrath towards us. And even then, three days later, rising from the dead, victorious over sin and Satan and death, Lord, how we, we praise you for uh, this salvation that is ours by faith, uh, not by works, not by trying to impress you, not by trying to earn up to it or merit it, Lord. We, we praise you that Jesus merited salvation. And now he freely offers that to us without merit, without us earning our way up to it, Lord. And we, we thank you for that. May, may that truth this morning just energize our hearts. Uh, may, it, may it compel us to uh, be living sacrifices. Uh, to offer ourselves up, uh, heart, mind, body, and soul uh, for you, to be wholly and solely committed to following hard after you. That's, that's the only right response in view of your mercies, in view of your rich grace in this way, Lord, to, to surrender all, uh, to say, take my life, Lord, it's yours, it belongs to you. And Lord, we uh, just praise you for uh, each person who's here this morning, we thank you for each person who's able to watch via live stream. We ask that the service this morning would be uplifting and would be faithful to your word, that you'd be pleased to use it to make us a church that is, uh, that is building, that is sending, uh, that is making disciples who make disciples, that we would be a church that is on mission with the Great Commission, uh, and that we would be reproducing and multiplying much for your namesake and for your glory. And we thank you for this body of believers. Lord, we know that there are many within it who are hurting, who are struggling, who have various uh, illnesses, uh, sufferings, trials that they're enduring. We, we lift up to you in particular Cody, uh, and just the, the stomach pain he's been having, uh, the ER visits he's been having, Lord, and, and still seems like the frustration of not quite knowing what's going on. Uh, we pray for wisdom for his doctors. We pray for healing for his body. 
uh, that you would just strengthen Cody uh, with all strength to, to endure through this. We think also of Penny's brother Ron and just all the, all the pain that he's in also in the hospital that he's in now in Detroit, I believe. I just pray that you would watch over him, uh, that he would be trusting in you through this. Uh, help Penny and other family members just, just to know your peace, to know uh, your strength, to know your presence, and, and help them to uh, just be a, a light there and encouragement there to their brother. And Lord, we think of Christy Moore and her back pain that she's been having for quite some time now, Lord. We pray for uh, a release of the tension there. We pray for healing with her back and that she would be able to get movement back the way that she, she needs it. And we pray for also for uh, Rex Harris, Lennon Paulette's son, with the aneurysm that he has on the upcoming doctor's visit to figure out more about that, Lord. We just pray that you would put your hand upon him, keep him safe until that doctor's visit, help the doctors to know exactly how to, how to proceed there, and that all would, would go well through that. We, we think also of the individual who uh, was exposed to, uh, to COVID. We pray that this individual would be strong and safe and, and, and healthy, um, that uh, the test would come back negative. But Lord, if it does come back positive, we just pray that you would just strengthen him and, and just help him to get through it without, without much concern or fear of any of those uh, things that come along with it. And Lord, we do thank you so much for our local police officers, our emergency responders, our, our, the firefighters, all those around us, Lord. We thank you for them just daily uh, putting their, their lives, sacrificing their lives, sacrificing their time uh, to, to, to look out for others, to care for others. We thank you for them. We thank you for this country. Uh, we thank you for the freedoms that we have. We thank you for the many who have gone before us who gave the ultimate sacrifice of their life uh, so that we can have these freedoms and celebrate them. Uh, we, we thank you also for those who are currently serving in the military uh, and just uh, to, to guard and defend our freedom. We pray for your hand of protection over them. Uh, Lord, we again just thank you so much for our country. But Father, there is much about our country that burdens us, uh, that greatly concerns us, that in many ways frustrates us and uh, gives, gives us maybe perhaps a bit of worry and anxiety. Uh, so Lord, we, we, just lift, we just lift up our country to you this morning. We, we know our country is... It's far from perfect. And we know that our country is uh, full of much sin, um, that our, our country is, is headed a direction that is very anti-God, uh, very godless. And Lord, we are, we are burdened about that. We are, we are concerned about that. And Lord, we know there are many within our country who uh, would want to tear down the family, tear down the government, destroy, destroy all these things. So Lord, we just we pray for our country. We lift our country up to you for you. And you alone are our hope. You and you alone can change uh, our country, can change our hearts. And so, Lord, we look to you. And Lord, I also ask just for each one of us individually and for us as a church corporately that, that during these times uh, that we would be uh, walking humbly before you, that we would be demonstrating grace and kindness in, in the conversations that we have. Lord, I pray that you would give us joy uh, as we move about and, and the daily rhythms of life. Um, that we would be exemplifying you, that people would see Christ in us, that you would help us as a, as a church and, and again as individuals to do this, to be reaching out in love in this way. And especially, Lord, I just pray you'd help us to be reaching our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our families with, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, that you would be pleased to draw many to a saving knowledge of your name. And Lord, we uh, just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> 
Well, since there's, there's no singing, we're just going to jump uh, right into the Word of God, the preaching of God's Word. So if you would turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 1, and this morning we're looking at verses 16 through 20. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. And this is what God's word says to us this morning. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the reading of God's good and perfect word. All God's people say, Amen. Amen. I begin with a question. What if... It was possible to do what Jesus did. What if it's possible to do what Jesus did? What if, like Jesus, we could make a major impact in our community and around the world without ever traveling more than 100 miles from home? Because you realize Jesus did that, right? He never traveled more than just 100 miles from his home. He stayed in that very small area, right? And yet, somehow, he managed to make an impact all around the world. What if we could do that? What if we could take a group of ordinary, everyday people, like you and me, and equip them with the Word of God and turn the world upside down uh, just like those early disciples did. What if we could do that in just four short years? Because Jesus did it in four years or less, right? What if we as a church in just four short years could create a movement of disciple makers just like Jesus? If I told you that was possible, would you do it? Quite the question, huh? And it's my aim this morning, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will do this through the preaching of this word, but my aim this morning is to persuade you to say yes to that question. That if you believe that we could do that, if that is possible, that you would do it, I hope your response to that is yes. It's the aim of this message to convince you that Jesus wants to saturate every nook and cranny of Barry County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to do that through you. Amen? Amen. He wants to do that. He wants to saturate every nook and cranny of Barry County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to do that through you. If you name the name of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, if you are a disciple or follower of Jesus, then God's will for you is that you will make disciples of Christ. Disciple making as a Christian should be the air you breathe, the food you eat, the dreams you dream, the motive and ambition of your every word and thought and action. It should be that, to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is God's will for my life. That's God's will for your life. 
as I've said the last few weeks, Jesus did not live a sinless life, serve, die on the cross, and rise from the dead just so that we would come to church on Sunday morning for a couple hours. That's part of it, yes, a small part of it, but that's not all that it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead so we would be a people who were sent on mission into every part of this world for him. God wants all people everywhere to see and know him. He wants everyone to know that everything is about him, and he wants them to know that through you and through me. That's amazing, isn't it? It's an amazing truth. <clears throat> I want us to see that this morning there is more, so much more to the Christian life than we often dream or think or imagine. God has called us to something immensely huge and, and amazing. Why does Orangeville Baptist Church exist? We exist for mission. Not a mission that we've created, not a mission that we came up with our own accord, but a divine mission from, from King Jesus to make disciples who make disciples. But reality is, if we're not careful, and I know this from my own personal life, uh, if we're not careful, it's easy to drift, right? It's easy to lose focus on the mission. It's, it's easy to peter out. It's easy to get off track. And I don't want that to happen in my own life. I don't want that to happen at Orangeville Baptist Church. As I've been saying, I, I want to saturate Barry County with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So to do that, we've developed this discipleship pathway that I've been talking about for the past, the past few weeks. It's a carefully thought out discipling strategy for the whole church. And the aim of it is to keep us on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been trying to spell that out for the last, the last four weeks, and I, I hope you're excited about it. Maybe you have questions about it. I understand that. It's, it's a lot to take in. And four, four weeks, five weeks, doesn't begin to answer all those things. It is my plan uh, in the next few weeks to try and circle around to all the growth groups and, and to go to those growth groups so that you guys can hit me with those questions, what questions you have about, about this pathway, but also as an opportunity uh, to help you see where you fit in this pathway and how you can be a part of it and help the church move forward with this. So that, that will be happening, like I said, in the next few weeks at the growth groups. But remember the four B's with me. Uh, the first one is believe. That's where it all starts, yes? Uh, heaven is not your default destination. Uh, when we uh, are born into this world, we are born not sinless, we are not born innocent, we are born sinful. We are born separated from God. We are born with heaven uh, not being our default destination. That's important to say because you talk to people on the streets or anywhere at, at your job and people just seem to assume that heaven is their default destination. And that's just not reality. Heaven is not our default destination. The Bible would teach us that hell is our default destination because of our sin, our sinfulness, our unrighteousness, and God's holiness, we are headed to a Christless eternity. But that's the great news of the gospel, the word of God, and our great privilege as Christians is, is to proclaim to people that heaven can be your destination. You don't have to go to a Christless eternity. Heaven can be your destination, and that can be yours through faith and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'll recognize your sin, 
and trust and believe in Christ and Christ alone, He will save you. He has promised to do that. If you call upon Him and believe upon, upon Him, He has promised and He is faithful to save. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. And I've committed a lot of them. And it doesn't matter how dark and terrible uh, you think those sins are. The blood of Jesus goes deeper than the darkest stain of sin. It washes deeper. It cleanses it out. Uh, there is no sin that is too terrible, too great, or there's no multitude of sins that goes beyond the depth of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the greatest news is you don't have to clean yourself up. Uh, you just need to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and He cleans you up. He, he declares you righteous. He gives you His Spirit uh, who then teaches you and empowers you to walk in a way that is pleasing to Him. That's, that's the gospel. That's, that's what we mean by believe. And of course, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the first steps you should take is being baptized. Uh, baptism is uh, the believer's identification with Christ. It's a way of showing to the world that I no longer belong to myself. I've died to sin. I'm alive to Christ by faith. And belief leads to belong. The second B in our discipleship pathway to believe in Jesus is to belong to God's people. When you believe in Jesus, you're made a part of God's family. You're not meant to live the Christian life alone. And quite frankly, if you try and live the Christian life alone and isolated, you will utterly fail. You will fall down. There won't be people there to help you get up. Uh, you will crash spiritually if you try and live the Christian life alone. The church uh, gathered is God's will for your life. I can give you 40 reasons why that's true. You know what those 40 reasons are? It's all the one another's. Just make your way through the New Testament and I can give you 40 reasons why the church is God's will for your life. You can't practice those 40 one another's living your life in isolation, can you? Uh, the Word of God teaches very, very plainly uh, that if you want to grow much in Christ, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the church isn't optional. The church isn't an aid. The church is essential to your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are many ways to belong here at Orangeville Baptist Church. You belong by participating in the weekly worship service. You can belong by joining a growth group. Uh, you can belong by lovingly serving. Uh, you can belong especially by joining the church, committing to this body of believers to prosper the gospel here in Berry County. And after belong is what? Become, right? And that was, that was our message last Sunday from Second Peter, become. As I want to say it this way, as your spiritual family, we love you too much. And God loves you too much to let you stay where you are in your Christian life. We, well, bigger than we, God wants to change you. He wants you to grow and become more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, day by day, step by step. And here at Orangeville Baptist Church, we lovingly expect and encourage you to change and grow in Christ. Again, just like a belong, become is not optional. Remember from the verse last week, 2 Corinthians 1, 5, make every effort, right? Make every effort to add these things to your faith. Stagnation is not okay. Discipleship doesn't end at conversion. Conversion is not the touchdown. Conversion is the kickoff. It's the beginning of the game. 
And to help you become more like Christ, we have those series of discipleship steps that we talked about last week. We have outreach, basics, formation, and digging deeper. And what that leads us to this morning is the last B, which is build. So believe, belong, become, build. And build is critical. Uh, this is what believe, belong, and become are moving towards. The goal of believe, belong, become is, is not so that we can just have a holy huddle. <laughs> It's not so that we can be a secret society that clusters together and only meets the needs of our members. There's there's no way that's what these things are about. We exist for those outside these walls. Amen? That's what we exist for. We are to be outward focused, not merely inward focused. Our, Our goal is not merely to keep the members happy. We exist for those who aren't here yet. We are to be outward focused. Jesus has given us a mission that pushes us out, uh, outside these walls, outside of our comfort zone. We are not interested in doing church, uh, just doing church and personally growing in the Lord. We want others to know Jesus. And that's what BUILD is about. It's about getting outside these walls and reaching others with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you can see how these build on each other. Believe, belong, become, build. And if we're building, if we're genuinely reaching out in the community, reaching our loved, our loved ones, our, our neighbors, our, our co-workers, if we're reaching them, then they believe. And then they need to belong. And then they become. And then they build. And you see how it's cyclical, how, how they build on each other. And maybe you're wondering... Man, oh man, oh man, Pastor Andrew, where are you getting that from? Where do you get this idea that we're supposed to be disciples who are making disciples? How do you get this idea that we're sent on a mission to make disciples? I thought that's why we hired you. (laughs) Uh, Our text uh, teaches this to us. Uh, We could look at a lot of different passages, but Mark 1, 16 through 20, helps us see uh, this teaching. And what we find in this passage, just by way of context, very quickly, is Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. He's roughly 30 years old at this time. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. He's went into temptation in the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, John the Baptist has now been imprisoned. And when John the Baptist is imprisoned, Jesus goes public. Uh, Jesus begins preaching. You can see it right in verse 14 of Mark 1. It says, Now, after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, this was the gospel of God, this is what he said, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so what those verses are saying is that Jesus is king and he is proclaiming his kingdom has come. It is near. And he also tells us how we can enter the kingdom. You must repent and believe. And having told us that we must repent and believe, he then goes as king and searches out subjects. And the first subjects for his kingdom that he finds are Simon and Andrew and James and John. He goes looking for them by the Sea of Galilee. That's what verse 16 says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. And it is here at the Sea of Galilee uh, that we find this watershed moment. Uh, where four men, who for all intents and purposes appear to have their hearts set on being fishermen for the rest of their life, at this moment in time, they give up those, those personal ambitions and they begin to uh, seek uh, the kingdom of Jesus and to build his kingdom and turn the world upside down. Right here in these verses, Jesus begins the process 
the four-year process in which he's going to turn the world upside down. And as we come to this, this watershed moment, uh, it's helpful to remember this is not the first time they've met Jesus. He's not a stranger to them. Uh, if you recall with me back in John chapter 1 that Andrew uh, met Jesus quite a while ago. Uh, Andrew, remember, was initially a disciple of John the Baptist. Uh, John 1 again tells us this, and John 1 would tell us that once John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he was speaking of Christ. And when he says that, uh, the Gospel of John tells us that two of John the Baptist's disciples started following Jesus. One of them was Andrew. The other one was most likely John. It doesn't tell us, but that, that's what an educated guess would tell us. So John 1, 38 tells us this. Jesus turned and saw them. Again, them is probably Andrew. We know for sure it's Andrew and probably John. So Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So Andrew and one other disciple, probably John, hangs out with Jesus for the day. No doubt asks him questions, gets, gets, to know, gets to know him. And you know what Andrew does after spending the day with Jesus? He runs to his brother, right? Uh, it tells us in John 1, 39-40, that it says uh, that Andrew went to his brother Simon, who was Peter, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One, the Promised One. And then he takes uh, Simon and introduces him to Jesus. So Andrew is quite the evangelist. Uh, we don't know how much time passed between what's recorded in John 1 and what's being recorded in Mark 1. Some people think a year passes between that. It's, it's kind of hard to, to, to know for sure. But what I'm trying to help you see is that when Jesus comes to Mark 1, 16 and through 20 and calls them to follow, it's not like they didn't know him. It's not coming out of nowhere. Uh, they're familiar with who Jesus is. That's not a leap for them. They've spent time with him. They know he's the Messiah, and they know they must follow him. So point number one this morning, and, and if you have the bulletin outline, it's a little bit different. I, I, that's what happens when you get that done on a little bit earlier in the week. Uh, as preachers think on things, their outline tends to change. <laughs> uh, so my outline changed a little bit this morning. Point, point number one this morning is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because we use that word follow a lot, right? Especially for social media. Uh, how many people follow you? How many likes do you have? That, that, that kind of stuff. And obviously there's nothing wrong with that. But truly following Jesus is a lot more than just liking him. Following Jesus is, I believe, another word for discipleship. So follow equals discipleship. And I see four characteristics of following Jesus here in our text. The first one I see is that it's personal. Again, verse 16 says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And he does the same with James and John. That's interesting. He singles out Andrew and Simon, James and John. But there's other people there, yes? We know that Zebedee is sitting in the boat with James and John, and we also know that Zebedee has hired servants. Uh, but Jesus focuses on these four men. This is sovereign grace. And this is highlighted all the more when we see how unusual this is, because typically in Jesus' day, what would happen is, if someone's a rabbi, then the disciples would go to the rabbi and say, hey, hey rabbi, can we follow you? 
But can we be your disciples? In other words, the, the disciples would pursue the rabbi. The rabbi didn't pursue them. But Jesus turns it on its head. Jesus goes the exact opposite direction. Instead of waiting for them to come to him, Jesus goes to them. And so we see how personal that is, yes? How Jesus targets Simon and Andrew and James and John and goes to them personally and says, follow me. And we know that it had to be this way. It had to be Jesus going to them, not them coming to him, because the scriptures teach us that, that sinners do not seek after Jesus and that Jesus is the one who seeks us. So he came looking for them. It's a call that is personal. He calls to them uh, not to follow a set of rules, not to follow a concept or ideology, but to follow a person, uh, to have a life-changing relationship with him, a call to learn from him, uh, to be like him, to listen to him, to observe him, to imitate him. So it's personal. It's also decisive. It's amazingly decisive. Uh, Jesus does not politely ask, Hey, Simon, what would you think about following me sometime, huh? Right? He doesn't do that. It's actually a command. Uh, in the text, it's very plainly a command. He commands them, follow me. And Peter and Andrew hear that, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Isn't that remarkable? Immediately they leave their nets and follow him. The same with James and John. There's no discussion. There's no delay. They follow him. They went after him. They, they didn't pull Jesus to the side and say, you know, Jesus, I, I, I kind of have some concerns here. Uh, what's your game plan? Well, what's this going to mean for us? Uh, can we have some time to, you know, talk this over with some friends? Or what kind of accommodations are we looking at? Or pull out this big list of like 20 questions. Can, can you answer these first? Uh, remember, to a degree, Jesus has done that already. If, if, if the scholars are true that there's a year's time between John 1 and Mark 1, then they, they've had time to spend with Jesus. They've had time to get to know Jesus. They know his priorities. They know who he is. They, they know he's the Christ. They've sat at his feet, they've listened, and they, so they know the one who is calling them to follow, and they do that. They're decisive. They don't know what the future entails, do they? Uh, they, they don't know what, what's going to happen. They don't know where it's going to lead. But they do know the one who's calling them the promised Messiah, and it's enough for them. And so I think the application of that is very plain, if not very convicting, that Jesus is not inviting you at your earliest convenience sometime, maybe, when you get around to it, to start following him. When King Jesus calls you to follow him, what we see here is don't delay. Act decisively. Immediately follow him. And the third thing we see about this, this call to discipleship, about following Jesus, is that it's costly. Look at verse 18. In verse 18 it says, And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And verse 20, speaking of James and John, it says, Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Again, this is nothing short of remarkable because fishing for the disciples wasn't a hobby. It was their life. It was their livelihood. It was their peace. It was their security. It was their future. It's, it's all they knew. It's all they had. And Jesus calls them. And what do they do? They walk away from all of it. They forsake everything to follow Jesus. And the same is true today. Listen to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. 
where it says, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. So that's, that's the invitation, right? You can kind of picture him with his arms wide. If anyone would come after me, here, here's what must happen, Luke 9.23, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's costly, isn't it? The call to follow Christ is costly. Again, in Luke 14, verse 33, Jesus says, Therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Like, Come on, Jesus, that, that's kind of way up here. Can't you lower the bar a little bit? But he doesn't, does he? Hear that again, Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. When Jesus calls you to himself, he is not asking that you'll just give him a couple hours a week or a few days. He wants it all. He wants you to be wholly and solely committed to him in everything, all the time, for his glory. He is to have the priority over your family, over your friends, over your finances, over your future. Everything else must be secondary to the Savior. That's hard hitting, isn't it? If we really wrestle with that and grapple with what the text is saying here. And I just, I wonder, have you done that? Have you realized what, what Jesus is calling you to? Have you responded to this call of discipleship? Are you following Jesus Christ? Are you willing to say this morning, Lord, I will follow you. I will be your disciple. No matter the cost, I will follow you. Or are you still standing on the seashore hanging on to your nets? Which one is it? Are you clinging to your nets or are you clinging to the Savior? Perhaps what this would mean for you, and there's something to be thinking about and praying about, but perhaps what this would mean for you is right now you have a stable family. You have a great job. Uh, you have great friends. But, and, and God right now, though, is, is working on your heart and He's calling you to walk away from all of that to the service of His kingdom, perhaps to be a missionary. Perhaps God's doing that right now in your heart. And you're afraid because that's going to cost you dearly. It, it can mean losing your job, losing some of your friends, lo lo losing uh, some, some family perhaps. Or, or maybe he's working on your heart in a different way and, and you can feel that tug. You, 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 can, you can sense within him that he's calling you to be a pastor. You know, God forbid, right? He's calling you to be a pastor or, or some kind of full-time ministry. And you're scared, you're, you're anxious, you're worried. You, you, you don't know what to think about that. And, and you know it could possibly cost you your job. It could cost you financial security. It will change your future uh, and all those things. And what this, what this verse is saying to you is, are you ready? Are you ready to answer the call? Will you follow the call? Are you ready to walk the way of the disciple? Are you ready to say, Lord, I will leave my boats and I'll leave my nets and I will follow you? Or are you going to keep hanging on to those nets? Is that you? Is Jesus calling you, but you won't let go of the net? And... I get it. It doesn't have to be as big as all of that. It doesn't have to be that God is calling you to be a pastor or a missionary full-time ministry. I, I hope he is. I've been praying all week long that he is. 
I've been praying that God would use this message to move in the hearts of some young men and women who would rise up to the call to follow him in that way. Uh, but for sure, uh, the Lord moves in many different ways, and Jesus may not be calling you away from your job. He may not be calling you away from your friends or your family, but no doubt he is calling you to follow him wholeheartedly and without reserve, to follow him personally and decisively and costly. He's calling you to follow him that way, perhaps as a homemaker, a businessman or woman, a health worker, a farmer, a school worker, retirement. Perhaps he's calling you to stay right where you are, but he expects you to live a totally different way. You haven't been living for him, you've been living for self. Maybe you've been trying to follow Jesus and hang on to your nets. Maybe you have not been willing to say, Lord, take my money, take my future, take my resources, all of it's yours. Maybe you haven't been willing to say, Lord, take my job. Maybe there's a sin in your life that you're clinging on to that's precious to you, you don't want to let go of. Perhaps you're trying to, to live and follow Jesus with, with one foot on in the world and one foot in Christ. And you realize what that's like, right? That's, that's like two escalators going different directions, right? If you're trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot following the Lord, one's going up, one's going down, that's pretty hard to walk, right? That, that's what that's like. It twists you, it would contort you, it would hurt. <laughs> uh, and that, that's not going to cut it. So what Scripture is saying, what Jesus is saying, is follow Christ. And when you follow Him, it will cost you everything, but you will gain a hundredfold more on this life and in the life to come. So Orangeville Baptist Church, Jesus is calling us to be a people who are forsaking every earthly ambition in pursuit of one eternal aspiration to make disciples, to see disciples multiply, to see churches multiplied here and all around the world. Jesus is calling you and he's calling me to gladly sacrifice your pleasures, your pursuits, your possessions in this world because you're living for the treasure in the world to come. What Jesus is calling us for is this. He's calling us away from comfortable Christianity. He's calling us away from comfortable Christianity that risks nothing, costs nothing, and accomplishes nothing. If God is the God of the universe, and if Jesus is the promised Messiah, the King, the Messianic King, then let's gladly let go of our nets and wholeheartedly pursue Him. It is worth it. Amen? We need more men and women and children who will rise up and say with the likes of C.T. Studd, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Or the church father Ignatius who said, I would rather die for Christ than rule the whole world. Or Hudson Taylor who said, if I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all for China. Or David Brainerd, who wrote in his journal not long before he died, I cared not how or where I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls for Christ. That's what the call to follow Christ is. Make that your heart's prayer. God, here I am. I understand you're calling me to follow you. Use my life to the greatest extent possible to bring salvation to others, to make disciples who make disciples. Help me to burn brightly for you. Let my personal dreams and small ambitions die so that others can see the great value and treasure that you are. Help my life to be marked by radical generosity and commitment to your kingdom, not mine, because my life is not my own. I'm bought, I'm owned, I'm ruled by you. Do with me as you will. I'm yours. I follow you. 
And if you hear all that and you're like, man, that sounds pretty drastic, then you're getting it. <laughs> you're starting to get it, yes? Jesus isn't calling us to make slight alterations. He's not calling us to a Christianity of convenience. He bids us come and die that we might truly live. And notice in verse 19, I think there's a word here uh, for, for parents and grandparents. Because uh, in verse 19 it says, going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Jebedee, and John, his brother, they were in their boat mending their nets. And verse 20 says, immediately he called them. They left their father in the boat. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants that followed him. So maybe, and I, and I grapple with this as, as a father of three, maybe as a parent or a grandparent, you're not quite willing to say, Lord, take my children. I just want you to think about Zebedee. Was this a loss for Zebedee? Think about Zebedee. He spent his life raising these boys to carry on the business. And Jesus comes along and says, follow me, and they leave their father. Was that a loss for Zebedee? Some might say yes. Biblically, though, we would say, no way. That's not a loss. Zebedee lets both of his sons walk away from his plan for his boys. So that brings the question up, right? As a father, as a mother, as a grandparent, would you let your son or daughter go? Would you let your grandkids go? Do you encourage your kids or grandkids to go and make disciples? Do you talk about it with them? Do you pray about it with them? Let, let, let me put it this way. Which, which, which would you rather? Would you rather to have your child on the other side of the world seeking God's glory and building his kingdom? Would you rather they live right next to you in a mansion seeking their own kingdom and their own glory? Which one would you rather? Is that costly? You better believe it is. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Amen? It's costly. The fourth part about the, 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 the thing of following the Lord Jesus Christ is the mission. Because verse 17 says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So the fourth part about how we follow Jesus Christ is we're on a mission. And Jesus is very clear about that mission. He has work for them to do. He has work for us to do. What's the mission? Catch men. Catch sinners with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Reach, reach the lost. Winning the lost is God's great concern. And it should be my concern and your concern. And how does he want to reach them? Through me and through you. Listen to John 17, 18. This is Jesus praying shortly before he's crucified on the cross. John 17, 18. He's praying to God the Father, and he says this, As you, the Father, sent me into this world. So Jesus is the sent one, right? God the Father sent him into this world, so I have sent them into the world. Think about it. The one who is sent by God uh, to be the Savior of the world has sent you and I. He has sent us to go into this world, to, to go to our family, those who live on our street and our, near, our, near our, work of play, our workplaces. It's, it's the same call to each one of us. He has no other plan. God has no other plan to reach the lost. His plan is you. He saved you. He saved me to reach 
the lost. You, Christian, are his plan. It was never Jesus' mission to personally reach the whole world in the 33 years he lived here. His mission was to, to get those 12 who would then reach the world, and his mission was to reach us who would then reach the world. His mission was to reach the world through you and I. And I want to say to you, it's no mistake that you live here in Barry County and that you know the people that you know. God is sovereign. He moves upon your life and the lives of others. He places us strategically so we can be fishers of men. And I wonder, do you think about your life that way? Do you think about your life as one, I'm on mission for Christ and when I'm going to the store? I have to make a, a run to the grocery store. Do you think about the fact that you're on mission there for Christ? Do you think about the fact that the people walking by you in the aisle or the, or the person checking you out at, at the, uh, in, the, in the aisle, that these are fish to be caught? Or do you go there with your list and you're so fixed on that list, that's your mission, that you miss the greater mission and you're missing the people walking right by you? And that applies anywhere, right? Are, are, are you seeking to catch the lost? We must learn to see that we've been placed by God to engage others with the gospel, to point others to faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Bill is all about. Disciples making disciples. And you don't get to say, Pastor Andrew, I'm out. I don't have that gift. Because <clears throat> we're all called to be fishers of men. You can't say, I'm not a people person, I'm not a talker, I'm out. And hear the promise. What does Jesus say? He says, follow me, and this, this is such a relief, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Do you hear the promise? He commands you to go, he, or I'm sorry, he commands you to follow me then he promises you, following me, I will make you become. That, 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 that's a great promise. It's, it's not optional. And Jesus is going to help us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to teach us how to do it. This is what disciples do. We fish for new disciples. This is why you have breath, to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the call. How do we do this? How do we become fishers of men? And I'm going to move, move through these quickly. <clears throat> how do we become fishers of men? Because uh, right now, hopefully, the Spirit's working in you and you're excited about this, you're seeing it. Yes, I want to I wanna make disciples who make disciples, but how do I do that? How in the world do I do that? And I think that analogy, when it says fishers of men, is very, very apt and very, very instructive. Uh, <clears throat> so we're just going to think about what does it mean to catch actual fish. So Kevin, you should love this, right? It's all about catching actual fish, but we're going to pull spiritual analogies off of this. Because uh, I, I think there's a lot of them there. Number one is this. How do we become fishers of men? Number one, you need passion. To be a good fisherman, you need to love fish. Right? you got to love to catch fish. Uh, so spiritually, you should love people. You should love to catch them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like when you're fishing and you feel that tug at the end of the line and you're filled with excitement, the rush of a catch, and you don't know what's on the other end of the line, that the thrill is the same when fishing for people, when people are responding. Remember, it's God's delight and joy to save the lost. God loves to save the lost. And you and I, we need to approach evangelism, not with skepticism and doubt. I think we do that sometimes. Like, is God really going to save that person? We, we have this doubt, but we we need to approach with confidence in the character and promises of God. You also need patience. You need patience because fish love the water. They don't want to be pulled out of the water, right? 
They're comfortable in the water. They have no desire to leave it. They'll stay there, even if the water is polluted and is killing them. Uh, fish are easily spooked. They're unpredictable. The same is true spiritually. So if you're going to catch the loss, you need to be patient. You need to persevere. You need to keep going at it. Uh, you can't cast out once and nothing bites and say, well, that's it. I'm going home. What's the point? Right? You can't do that. You need to keep casting. You need perseverance because sometimes the fish gets away. And spiritually, that's hard, right? Uh, words can hardly describe the disappointment when there's someone you've been sharing the gospel with and it seems like they're interested. They're kind of being pulled in. But then they reject the gospel. That can feel like a pit in your stomach. But we must not give up. We must be diligent. You also need to be courageous. Uh, there are some fishermen who have to make their living by fishing, just like the disciples in our text. Uh, they, they underwent great danger. Sometimes their boats were capsized. Sometimes they die. And of course, with us, we need the courage sometimes, just, and this is spiritually speaking, just to cast the, the line in the water, right? Uh, let me state the obvious. In order to catch fish, you need to go where the fish are. And you need to cast the line into the water. You can't just sit in your boat. You can't just sit in your house. We can't just sit in these four walls hoping the fish will just kind of jump in. <laughs> That'd be nice, huh? Uh, but that's not how it is. We need to go where the people are and courageously let the gospel out. Cast the line. We also need the right equipment. I'm amazed at how many different kinds of bait and tackle there are when you go fishing, but this, what, thankfully, spiritually, the bait and tackle you need is this, right? You just need the Word of God. You just need to know it uh, and understand it to be effective with the Scriptures. The next one is you need the right example. The right example. Think about it. How did Simon and Andrew, James and John, learn how to fish? They learned how to fish from their father and his example. Uh, they watched him over a long time, being with them and helping them on the boats. The father showed them all that was involved in being a fisherman. So with Jesus. He didn't just say, go catch sinners. He said, follow me. He's saying, learn from me. He says, watch me. And they did. Uh, and, and just to show you very quickly, look at verse 21. In verse 21 it says, And they, so here's Jesus and the four disciples, right? And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And you can make your way through. He, he calls them to follow him and become, um, to, catch, to catch fish. And he does that by having them follow him. They're learning from his example. They watch him, how he talks and how he interacts and what he does and what he doesn't do. Jesus is teaching them how to catch fish. He's modeling to them. And the next one is you need experience. You need experience to catch fish. You can watch all the YouTube videos you want of fishing, right? Uh, you can read as many magazines as you want. You can ask as many questions as you want, but nothing beats the experience of actually going out and doing it. And quite frankly, spiritually speaking, this might be an ouch, not an amen, is we are really good at talking about fishing, but we're not so great at getting out and doing it. Right? We talk all the time about how we need to get the gospel out, but are we doing it? A good fisherman actually fishes. <laughs> you have to bait the hook and cast the line. So Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples modeling this to them, but he also gave them opportunities to do it. Uh, I'm not going to take time to turn there, but Mark 6, he does that. He sends them out two by two. He does the same in Matthew 10. They've, they've watched him do it, and now he sends them out. Uh, same thing again in Matthew 10. And actually in Matthew 10, at the end, they come back and report to him about how it went. They debrief. 
Jesus did this for three years with them. This is on-the-go training. And this is the best kind of training there is. I can speak to that personally because when I was in seminary, uh, I had the unique privilege of, while I was in seminary, also pastoring a local church. It was on-the-go training. Uh, I was learning very, very quickly that the things I'm learning in class, this is what this looks like practically. And that made me listen a lot harder. Uh, it made me listen a lot more intently. It made me ask a lot of questions. It made me pursue the professors and say, what about this? What about this? How do I do this? What, what's going on here? You know, looking for wisdom. Uh, that on-the-go training uh, really forced me uh, in, into it in a great way. I'm very thankful for that. I, I've said many times, probably the t point in my life where I grew the most spiritually was when I was in seminary and also correspondingly, simultaneously, uh, on-the-go training at a local church. I didn't plan it that way. Looking back at it, I have no idea how we got through that. I, I think I've shared with you before, during that time in my life, I was working a full-time job and a part-time job. I was full-time in seminary. I was married. Uh, I was pastoring a church, and we had a daughter. <laughs> I have no idea how we survived that and how we're able to stand before you today, other than God's grace. But it was on-the-go training. And I think this is sometimes why, as Christians, we aren't very excited about God's Word, because we're not on mission. We're not actually making disciples, and so it's all become about me, and things get stale and boring. But if we're on mission, if we're making disciples, suddenly a whole new world opens up, and we realize how much training and equipping that we need. And that leads to the next one. You need the church. Uh, if you're going to be making disciples, you need the church. Uh, look at Mark 1.19. <clears throat> Mark 1.19 says, Going on a little farther... He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat. Notice that word, mending the nets. Mending the nets. They're repairing the nets. And I want you to notice something maybe you haven't connected before in your mind. And remember, God's word is inspired, so I don't think this is accidental. Uh, there's no wasted words in the Bible. That word for mend in John 1.19 is the same word for equip in Ephesians 4.11 and 12. So let me read that. Ephesians 4.11 and 12 says, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Again, that word equip in Ephesians 4.11 and 12 is the same word for mend in John 1, uh, verse 9, or Mark 1.19. So God gives the church leaders like myself and Josiah and, and, of course, Pastor Dan for many, many years. He gives us to the church, not so we do the ministry, but so we can equip you to do the work of the ministry. That, in other words, what does that mean? What, what, does this, what does it mean when it says that God's given us to equip the saints? What that means is no bench warmers allowed at Orangeville Baptist Church. That, that's what that means. No riding the pine, right? That the Bible calls me and other church leaders in this church to equip you to do just about everything that I do. And I want to show you my heartbeat and my passions. I want to equip you so you can do it better than I do. I, I want you guys to excel still more. I'm not here to do all the ministry. I don't want to hoard it all to myself. I, I don't want that in the slightest. I want to equip and empower and be a catalyst in your life so that you can do the ministry hopefully far better than I do it to the glory of God. I believe with all of my heart this is one of the reasons the church today is very ineffective and weak. It's because many of us have bought the lie that the pastor is the most important person and we're here to cheer him on. You guys are the cheerleaders. <laughs> Did you know that? You're not. You're not cheerleaders. 
at all. The pastor is not the star player. You are not here to cheer him on. The tragedy of that is you guys have amazing gifts that God has given you, and they're just being sitting there unused, collecting dust, if you think that way. And so one of my great ambitions as your pastor is to stir you up to do the work of the ministry. God wants to love and grow and change other people through you. He wants you to be the instrument of change. That's the only way we're going to saturate Barry County with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can't wait until you get yourself together. I have that conversation sometimes, right? Well, I have this going on, I have this going on, I just can't get these things together, I need to do this. Look, you're never going to get yourself together. I don't have everything together, not even close. <laughs> or, or maybe you're thinking, maybe you're thinking, I know God uses people, but He just doesn't use people like me. That's the biggest lie. I once heard someone put it this way, God uses people just like you because he's trying to reach people just like you. Amen? And if you're hearing all this and you're fearful, and maybe in your mind all you can think of is failure or you feel insufficient, great. You're right where you need to be. None of us are sufficient. You're not competent, I'm not competent. Jesus is our competency. What's the promise again? I will make you become fishers of men. The question is not how smart you are, how powerful you are, how educated you are. The question is who is God? Who is Jesus? And if you follow him and trust him, he will make you grow. He will make you become a fisher of men. Just think about the fact that he calls four fishermen. <laughs> four fishermen. I have an idea. Let's turn the world upside down. I'm going to start with four fishermen. It's crazy, right? You think he'd go to the cream of the crop at the universities. Uh, he'd, he'd find the, the top of the line CEOs or, or, or something like that. But Jesus doesn't. He goes to the people you would least expect to build his church and change the world. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Jesus loves to use us in our weakness. Do you feel weak this morning? Do you hear everything I'm saying? You're like, there's no way I can do that. I'm too weak. I can't do that. Perfect. You're the one he wants to use. <laughs> <laughs> he loves to use us in our weakness. Some of you might think, ministry comes easily to me, and if you think that about me, I can't tell you how wrong you are. Uh, just, just even growing up, l let me tell you about myself growing up. God took a little boy who was so shy and so timid and so self-conscious and, quite frankly, so sinful that I could hardly speak or look at anyone without running away. As a wimp. I had no problem going through a day at school talking to no one. In fact, that was like the best. Don't talk to me, don't look at me, leave me alone. <clears throat> but by God's grace and for his glory, he's using me with my weakness and inadequacies. And now you're like, man, I can't get this guy to shut up. I want to go home and he keeps preaching, right? <laughs> my mom and dad would never have said, I don't think, they're going to be here next week, you can ask them, but they never would have said, Andrew, oh, he's a preacher. <laughs> they never would have said that. They never would have thought that. Uh, I was terrified, inadequate, self-conscious. If you wanted to find me growing up as a little boy, I was wrapped around my mom and dad's legs constantly. I didn't want to move. And my, my mom and dad would constantly have to be like, Andrew, turn around and look at these people, talk to these people, say hi to these people. And, no. <laughs> that was me. I'm nothing. I'm weak. 
And God wants me to operate and serve and make disciples from this position of weakness. Why? Because He gets the glory. Amen? He gets the glory. So what I'm saying is don't wait till you feel adequate. Don't wait until you feel strong. Because if you do, you'll never be used by God. I'm not up here because I have it all together. I'm up here because Jesus has it all together. He has it all together. So if you feel small and weak and inadequate, great! That's perfect! God wants to work through your weakness. He wants to make disciples who make disciples through you. And so very, very quickly, how, how are we going to do that as, as a church? How, how does this play out with build? And again, rapid fire here. Two things, personal and corporate. Personally, it always starts with you. How are we going to make disciples who make disciples? What do you need to do? What do I need to do personally? We need to get out beyond these four walls and we need to be talking about Jesus to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to anyone who will listen. We need to be like grandparents and their grandkids, right? It doesn't take long in a conversation where you're talking with a grandparent and they pull out their phone and they start shoving pictures in your face, right? I want you to see that. Look at this picture. Look, at this. They, they can't stop talking about their grandkids and that's awesome. That's how it should be. That's how we should be with Jesus. He loves us so much and we love Him so much. It's all you can do to get me to stop talking about Him. He's going to come up in the conversations. This is what we should be doing. And, and I, I forgot to do it, but we're going to be putting a fishbowl out there in the foyer. There's going to be cards next to it. What I'm going to ask you guys to do is to write your name on it and write someone who you're praying for to be saved. And we're going to commit as a church to be praying for these people because we're serious about this. We've got to be getting out and sharing the gospel. Why, why isn't the church growing? Why isn't it multiplying? Why aren't more people coming to faith in Christ? What's the question underneath that? Who are you sharing the gospel with? It has to be heard. It has to be spoken, right? So where does it start? It starts with you and I sharing the gospel. It also starts with you and I being willing to open up our lives and let people in. Remember how Jesus made disciples. He invited them. They walked with him. They did life with him. It was life on life. I don't know how much we can expect to build and grow and equip disciples if we only see them for an hour or two on a, a week. We need to invite people into our daily lives, our daily schedules, our meetings, our marriages, our families. That's what Jesus did. He models how to follow, how to make disciples. So let me just challenge you with this. If you're an older woman in the church, there's lots of younger women in the church, and they, they need you to come alongside them and disciple them. So maybe you're cooking a meal for your family. That's a great opportunity to invite them over. And... and Help them make the meal with you. And as you're doing that, you talk about Jesus, talk about life, and then sit down and eat a meal together with your family and, and let them see how you disciple your kids, right? That's, that's on-the-go training. You can multiply that a thousand th ways, right? Gardening, and not just ladies. Of course, men, we should do this with other men, yes? Gardening, fishing, driving to the store, whatever you're doing, you're inviting others into the everyday rhythms of life and you're modeling Christ and you're speaking Christ to one another and you're like... Man, Pastor Ander, that sounds really uncomfortable. That sounds really intentional and intrusive. Yes and amen. <laughs> it is. This is the cost. This is how we build. It's, it's worth it. It's worth it. What does that mean for us corporately? I have three eyes. Three eyes. This is where you guys are maybe going to think I've, I've totally lost it. I've gone off my rocker. But these, these are the three eyes I hope to see us doing as, as a church. Uh, <clears throat> three eyes. Number one is invest. What does build look like for us as a church? Number, the first one is invest. What that means is you've gone through those four steps. Remember for become, you've gone through those four steps. 
You've been a part of all this, and it's still not enough. You're hungry for more. You want more. You want more. You want to know more. And and you want to be doing more for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Invest is for you. Invest is where we're going to go as deep as we can possibly go with you and push you as hard as we can push you to be more like Christ. Invest is also in particular for people who are leaders in the church. And so if you desire to be a growth group leader or, or a deacon or, or a trustee or, or some other kind of position of leadership in the church, like a Sunday school teacher, then what we want to do is come alongside you and invest as deeply and as heavily as we can into your life so that you can turn around and effectively invest into the lives of others. There's a lot more I can say about that, but the next I is intern. I'm really excited about this one. Intern. Maybe there are even some who've heard this message this morning and and you're sensing that call, the pastoral ministry, you're sensing that call to be a missionary. And I I don't have time to unpack this. There'll probably be future messages on this. But I believe with all of my heart, it is the church's job to test, train, and affirm such individuals. I see that in Acts. I see that in the pastoral epistles. When you search the scriptures, I don't find seminaries training pastors. Do you? I find pastors training pastors, pastors training missionaries, pastors training future leaders. And I'm not dissing seminary. I'm, I, I'm in seminary now. <laughs> uh, I'm, so I'm not, I'm not dissing those, but they should not be the primary outsource. Seminary should be a supplement to the church's training efforts, not a substitute. Listen, I want Orangeville Baptist Church to be a sending church, and I want to be sending out pastors and missionaries left and right, left and right, left and right. I want to be developing and deploying men and women to go and help build God's kingdom all around the world. And lastly, that leads to increase. And again, this might be where you think I've totally lost it. Increase. Jesus is all about multiplication, yes? I love the story of, of the, the little boy who feeds the, the 5,000 through the, just a couple of loaf and fish, right? Jesus takes uh, just that little bit of food and he multiplies it to 5,000. And you might be tempted to hear all that I'm saying going, Pastor Andrew, we're a small church, we can't do all this. But my response to that is, Jesus loves to multiply. He loves to take what's small and weak and get the glory out of it. And so I'm excited about this one increase. By that I mean, I think we as a church should have a mission to be planting more churches. Amen? Kind of? We're still thinking on that one? We should be a church that has a mission, has a plan to be planting churches locally and maybe all around the world through our missionaries, right? Why why not? I want to give Family Dollar a run for their money, right? Because they seem to have this ability to every little like piece of land to like, oh look, family dollar fits there, and pop, there it is, right? As if we need another family dollar. <laughs> you can't go a couple miles out hitting a family dollar. Why can't the church do that for the cause of Christ? If they can do that for money, why can't we do that for Christ? Amen? We should be on a mission to increase. We want to be making disciples who make disciples to be uh, fishers of men. And let's pray to the king to be building his kingdom, to be searching for subjects, to be reaching uh, Barry County and all the world through us. I expect him to do that. Because he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So let's make the most of that. Let's pray for God to move in such a way that nothing can explain it other than to say, God reigns. God reigns. If Jesus can turn the world upside down through 12 men in four years, and if he's promised to you and I, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, then let's get building. Amen? Has the Word of God persuaded you?
I opened with that question about if I told you that this was possible, would you do it? Has he been persuading you this morning? If he can do it through these four fishermen, if he can get me standing up here doing this, there's no telling what he can do through us as we unite to build for his kingdom. What will you do? Will you follow? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege, what a joy to be here this morning, to stand up here this morning and just proclaim this truth. Lord, if there's anyone hearing this right now uh, who's yet to know what it means to, to be a follower of you, I just pray that you'd use this message, use us to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help myself and each one of us here to be following you in this way, to be mission-minded, to be on mission. Lord, if there's any of us here who are still clinging to our nets, Lord, I pray you grant us repentance to turn from those things and that we would just follow you personally and decisively. And no matter the cost, we'd be on mission for you. And Lord, perhaps there's some in our midst who are uh, thinking about uh, full-time ministry, whatever that might look like, Lord. I pray you just, you wouldn't give them any rest so they keep thinking on that and praying on that and pursuing that, Lord. And you'd help us as a church to come alongside them. Help, them, help us to be a sending church. Help us to be a church of multiplication and, and replication, Lord. Help, help this discipleship pathway, Lord. We're offering that up to you and saying, Lord, please use that uh, to make our church as effective as it can be for your glory and your kingdom. Help us to be a place of believe and belong and become and build. Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. We don't want to do it in our own strength. We need your help. We need your spirit. Help us unite around it and help us just to be on fire for you in this way, to gladly give up all of our personal pleasures and pursuits for this one eternal aspiration to make disciples and multiplying locally and globally, Lord. Please, please do that here, Lord. We pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Normally I would say let's sing a song, but no song to sing, so we are dismissed.